1: up, everyone. Welcome to BuzzBeat. This is Richie. And on today's episode, I will be answering more listener questions, questions about Brandon Miller, about Terry Rozier, concerning aspects of this team, about Steve Clifford, and much, much more. But before we get into this, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps us out more than you know. And it's really the easiest way, the quickest way to support us Lastly, I'm going to put a link in the notes of this episode. But if you purchase off of our T public site, whether you purchase a coffee mug, a t shirt, a sweatshirt, off that site, you automatically get free months of BuzzBeat Plus. So if you want three months free and you purchase a coffee mug, we will give you that. A t shirt earns you six months free and a sweatshirt earned you one full year of BuzzBeat Plus, our private podcast feed, where you can listen ad free, get it early compared to the public feed. And that website, I'll put it in the notes, but it's tpublic.com slash user slash BuzzBeat. And once when you guys get the proof of purchase, just send that over to us in our DMs at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter, and we will hook you guys up If you make that purchase between now and the end of July. So August 1st, that deal goes away. All right, let's start off with some of these questions that came in. And let's start with Jake G on Twitter. He has several questions and we will start with number one. Now, I will say some of these questions that have been asked by our listeners, we've mentioned in previous episodes and recent episodes. So we're not going to rehash a lot of this stuff. Uh, but we will give our, our thoughts. But if you want to go back, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of these topics kind of just keep repeating themselves, which is fine. Um, you know, it's something that in the lull of the off season here, uh, we have the same conversation over and over again. And uh, if you are listening for the first time, maybe this is the first time that you're hearing uh, these types of topics. So Jake on Twitter asked, number one, do we think Terry could be on the trade block this season? And if so, what type of return? would I hope to see? We did mention Rozier on a recent episode and how his value around the league is really tricky to gauge because of his contract. He is still signed on for three more seasons. He is someone that maybe should be shopped because of his defensive fit next to LaMelo, and maybe if Brandon Miller, you know, starts off the season hot, in his rookie season and his shots start to fall, maybe Rozier's value on this team is diminished, but that's really still a big if as a rookie, especially early on in the season. I still think that Rozier has a place in this league. I still think he's best used as an off-ball mover, a spacer. Last season when he had the ball in his hands and his role was different because of injuries, his production to me, took a drastic dip. I think that was his worst season in Charlotte this past 22-23 season. And so if he's used in that way, you're not going to get the best out of him. So if you expect him to be at his best, he's got to be, one, with a healthy roster and also, two, being put in positions to where he can use his gravity as a three-point shooter the best way. So the hope is that this season, he doesn't have to play that way and he returns to how he was used two seasons ago. But having said that, I do think the Hornets should consider trading him in field offers. I don't know if it's one of those things where you actively put him on the trade block, but I also can't see, and we and we mentioned this on a previous episode, I can't see them being aggressive and in, in doing this type of stuff. It feels like Mitch and company front office, they value Rozier, and they rewarded him accordingly with that extension that was given to him. And as far as the return goes, I'm not exactly sure what you can get because of his salary and the matching purposes that have to come when you do those types of trades. You're not trading them into space. No one has that. So you can do one of two things. Number one, you can attach future picks second-round pick with Rozier to take back a player or players that aren't signed through the 25-26 season. So maybe you're you're getting off of Rozier's salary a little bit quicker, and to do so, you might have to attach a second-round pick. Ryan and myself were talking about how the Hornets don't have a lot of draft capital moving forward. It, It seems like they're either at a net neutral or a net negative in terms of what they owe. And then one that I think makes less sense is to trade Rozier for a player that extends past 2026. And in that case, you'd be taking on some draft capital. So maybe you'd be earning draft capital, but you'd be taking on a player that extends past 2026, which I think the whole purpose of getting off Rozier, in addition to freeing up playing time for others, is to get off his contract a little bit quicker. So to me, I'd rather just let him play out the contract and maybe trade him closer to when his contract ends. Uh, right now, I, I just don't see that being a logical way to do it in terms of taking back guys that are on the books for the 2027 season. So that that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I, I, I don't have any like examples off the top of my head. I didn't go to the trade machine, but I'm sure there are some scenarios that fit both of those, you know, both of the bills there in, in terms of what a trade might look like i i don't i don't think it's going to be some huge trade that would uh, shift the landscape for the hornets we're driven
0: by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
2: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. Jake has another question. Does J.T. Thor see more than 14 minutes per game this year? Now Thor is really a guy that turned it on at the end of the season last year. Built some trust within the organization. Didn't have to play in Summer League. He seems very much like a Clifford-esque player. He still has a ways to go to build a consistent shot on the perimeter, even though he really took an upswing after the All-Star break. He's got to get stronger, but the strength that he does have, he's a very good perimeter defender. He's got length to contest shots. He can even block some on occasion. I think where I have a hard time getting him over 14 minutes per game is just the depth that Charlotte has right now at the three and four positions. Especially if P.J. is coming back, it's going to be very, very challenging to kind of work him into this rotation. Hayward, Bridges, Washington, Brandon Miller, these guys that play the three position, And even some that play the two and the four are going to take precedence over JT Thor. So with this question, I actually, because of this question, I was trying to map out a rotation chart with minutes designated, you know, 48 minutes across the five positions. And without a backup point guard, maybe he has a better chance to play in a 10-man rotation. But... Even then, it's still difficult. Like, you'd have to cut back Hayward's minutes drastically. You'd have to limit Brandon Miller to, like, 17, 18 minutes in his rookie season, which I'm sure you guys would rather have him play 20-plus minutes. You'd have to limit Martin's minutes, which feels difficult to do because if you don't have a backup point guard and you're staggering Ball and Rozier, you would still like Martin to play some because he is a good ball mover, makes the right decision. So to answer this question, ultimately, unless there's some kind of movement at the deadline, if the roster stays the way it does and P.J. returns, unless something drastic happens, it's going to be very hard for J.T. Thor to see 14 minutes per game. I mean, the minutes just add up when you think about getting 30 minutes here for this person, 25 minutes there for that person and JT Thor just falls a little bit lower on the pecking order, in my opinion. But maybe Clifford values him to the point to where he will get more than that. But just as a prediction, I would say no. 14 minutes or less would be my prediction. All right, number three is his third question. Predict the stat lines for Brandon Miller and Nick Smith Jr. Let me first say, I'm not as high as others on Smith Jr. getting consistent minutes in his rookie season. It's not It's not that I'm low on him, maybe, like where he could project a season or two seasons down the road. I just am a little bit low with his playtime. I think it's going to be sporadic. So because of that, my projections for his averages aren't going to be like mind blowing. So NSJ, I think he averages like five points a game, one rebound, one and a half assist, something to that effect. Um, because of the sporadic play. I just don't know if he can get into a groove where he's going to be playing more minutes to where he can bolster his stats a little bit more. As far as Brandon Miller goes, I expect him obviously to be more of a focal point than NSJ and get consistent minutes. He's a guy that I could actually see starting the season a little bit slow and finding a groove midway through the season. And ultimately, I think he should finish up anywhere from 11 to 15 points per game. I'll I'll just say 12, 12 and a half points per game, 12 points per game, something like that. Three and a half rebounds per game and three assists per game. You know, that might not seem like a a stellar stat line, but when you take into consideration that I actually don't think he'll be starting, at least not early on. I don't think it's that crazy or far-fetched of a stat line. I think where I would want to monitor His overall impact is not just on the box score stats. It's how he is used as a player. Is he just strictly a three-point shooter? And I, you know, I, I still want to monitor his three-point percentage and hopefully it's something that's north of 35%. I think that would be a good barometer to test him in his rookie season. If he can meet that 35 benchmark, I think that would be considered successful. That's a good bar to pass. I think in terms of how he is used inside the three-point line, uh, that's where I'm interested as well, and check to see how he's used as a guy that gets inside the paint, a guy that is used in the mid-range, the floater game. Is he going to have to rely on the mid-range and floater game instead of the rim game because of his lack of strength? So just checking those percentages and and how he is used is going to be just as important to me as that final stat line. And it does he show growth throughout the season? That's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, he's going to have games where he, do, he does score 20, 25 points. But uh, to see consistent minutes and consistent production like that, it's just not, not realistic. So that's what I would say for Brandon Miller. And especially with all the depth, too, at the 2, 3, and 4 position, um, kind of getting in a groove consistently would be somewhat difficult. All right, on Twitter, at Fat Lever, number one, biggest area of concern heading into the season. This type of question, I like and dislike at the same time because it's it's really hard to pinpoint one concern because to me, there are a lot of little concerns I have with this team. My primary concern is about this team's scoring and shooting and if the acquisition the drafting of Brandon Miller, and the return of Miles Bridges, does that make up for the lack of offense this team had last season? Charlotte ranked near the bottom, or at the bottom, a lot of shooting and scoring and efficiency categories on that end. They didn't quite get out and transition and score as often as I would have liked in that department. And when they got in the half court, it was really hard to watch. Just to give you a context on one particular stat when it comes to offensive ball movement, when it comes to efficiency, when it comes to creating opportunities for others. Let's go back two seasons. In 21-22, the Hornets averaged 67.8 assisted points per 100 possessions, which was second in the NBA. So if you took 100 possessions, on the court, the Hornets average basically 68 points of those being assisted. This past season, in 22-23, they averaged 58.4 assist points per 100 possessions. So you are docking 10 assist points per 100 possessions, which is a drastic drop. I don't know where that ranked within the league, but that probably was bottom five, bottom six, bottom seven, like somewhere around there. And for a team that was so good two seasons ago, and and yes, you had a offensive-minded coach, you had Miles Bridges, uh, that that is a drastic gap to cover. And if you break that stat down even more, the biggest dip actually came when you looked at the assisted three-point makes. The rim and mid-range stuff stayed relatively equal. And when you look at how the team played, I think you can attribute that to a couple things. You obviously need three-point shooting, but you also need rim pressure and paint pressure to collapse the defense. If teams don't respect individual players, they aren't going to help off supposed shooters. You've got to force defenses to work and eventually get them out of position and put pressure on them to keep their rotations on point which normally doesn't happen if you have good ball movement, which took a noticeable dip in 2023 compared to 2022. That's my first concern. Shooting, scoring, how they're going to get their looks, how they're going to create open looks for others. Maybe Brandon Miller and Miles Bridges helps that. Maybe it doesn't. Number two, I have uh, concerns with the continuity of this team, with the health of this team seems like for the past three or four seasons, it, it's always something that pops up with not just one, but multiple players on this roster, and I think that's something that will always be in the back of my mind, and the room for error, the margin for error is just so small with this team. If, if one player goes down, two players go down, and we've seen it far too often in the past few seasons, the opportunity for success goes down real quickly. LaMelo goes down, this team has no shot. Hayward goes down, they could try to work around it, but his absence still has a big effect on this team. Miles has been relatively healthy in his career, but I worry about his rust and working himself back into game shape. And so that continuity there, that's what I worry about. And feeling comfortable playing with his teammates, some of which are new to him. He's never played with Mark Williams. He's never played, obviously, with Brandon Miller. He's played very limited minutes with JT Thor. And maybe I'm underestimating how accelerated his production and lack of rust will be in his return, but I'm predicting that, you know, this one-year absence, this 10-game suspension to start the season, you can't just push that off to the side. I think that's going to have an effect on him as a player and how he works back into the rotation and getting back to his 21 22 form i don't think it's going to happen you know game 11 of the season and if i had to choose one more concern i i would probably choose the backup point guard play i think there are are ways to have playmaking on the court at all times but i'm just skeptical of charlotte going into the season without a true backup point guard I'm really not exactly sure what they are doing. I know that there, there's been rumors out there that they're trying to look for a veteran backup point guard. But as of this recording, they do not have a backup point signed. Terry Rozier, like I mentioned earlier, was used there too much last season. He can be used there sporadically. I, I don't mind it being used sporadically. But I get the sense that he's going to be used there far too often at that spot like last year. The results weren't great, and you aren't really playing to his strengths by putting the ball in his hands and taking him out of his comfort zone. There really haven't, I guess they haven't really been linked to free agent point guards all that much that I've heard of. Um, Ayu Dasunmu just signed with the Bulls. He was the one favorite of mine. He was restricted, so it was going to be difficult uh, with the matching ability of the Chicago Bulls, but you could have put him at a difficult spot to where they'd be in the tax. There was that one rumor about DeLon Wright, but you would have to give up an asset to acquire him. I talked about him as a player on the last episode with Brian, I believe. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. I think he would be a better option than what they are doing right now, but not sure. Not sure if the Hornets will do something about that gap and the backup point guard position. So that's part of my three concerns. We've got the backup point guard position, the health, and then just the shooting and scoring on offense. Those would be my top three concerns heading into the season. Question two from Fat Lever. The ball movement in game seven of Summer League was the complete opposite of the first six. Coincidence? If not, who was the biggest culprit of ISO heavy players that we saw from games one to six. I do think it's somewhat of a coincidence, but also when you have players like Brandon Miller, Smith Jr., Book Knight, McGowan's players who feel like one, they've either they've either been there before or their talent level is just notches above the competition they're going to go out there and try to get their points more often than not, even if that means it's not within the flow of the offense. This is also a time during Summer League where players try to explore a little bit more. They try things out that they wouldn't normally do on the NBA level, and they play a little bit more aggressively. I don't think the coaching helped. Offensive organization, that didn't help with the ball movement either. So when you take out the high usage players for the final game or two, you get players that aren't used to scoring a lot and they typically play within themselves a little bit more often and aren't looking for their shot 24-7. So that's kind of what I would boil it down to is you take out all these players that are better talent-wise and they can go get their points and they feel like they can score whenever they want to. But if I had to answer the question, I would say the biggest culprit of ISO heavy play was either Nick Smith Jr. or Bryce McGowan's both either focused too much on their shot or they just tried to over dribble and break down their opponents to the detriment of looking for others within the possession. So by the time, you know, they were working on their moves, it it was just way too late to find a teammate. But You know, I I could be wrong, but ultimately I just think it was a byproduct of who was playing and the nature of those players and their play style in Game 7. And so when you have the skill sets that were lost because players were shut down or sat out, when you transition that to some of the role players, it just, to me, naturally, you're going to have a little bit more of the ball movement. So is it something that I'm worried about? No, because these same players are going to be playing limited role with the Charlotte Hornets outside of Brandon Miller. There's not a lot of guys that are on the summer league team that are going to be seeing consistent heavy minutes, in my opinion, in year one. And so when you place them within a role on the NBA level, some of that stuff goes away and they play within their system a little bit more. Next question comes from Keith on Substack. He asked two quick questions. Who would I want to be the backup point guard? And number two, who do I think will end up playing backup point? So I mentioned this earlier on uh, a couple of questions previous, but I will say this. I think realistically, who would I want at this point? Now that Desun moves out of the equation, I'll go with DeLon Wright only because there has been a link to him and I like his defensive-minded presence. I like the way that he can finish at the rim. I like the fact that he is a veteran, albeit not a not a typical veteran. He's just been around the league a while. I don't know if he's a guy that is going to lead the locker room by any means, but that, to me, is the best alternative at this point. And the number two, who I think will end up playing backup point? Terry Razier. I think that's what it's going to come down to, but could be wrong. All right, two more questions from... Three underscore stings on Twitter. He has two questions here. Number one, is this the best Hornets team Clifford has ever coached? So on paper and on the court, as we all know, are two completely different things. But with the team that we're talking about, that's really all we have at this point. we got to project what this team can become. But I, I took a look at some of Clifford's more successful teams during his head coaching tenure. I'm going to look at only the seasons that his team had winning seasons. And that is the 2015-16 Hornets. They won 48 games and were in a four-way tie for third place in the East. But if you guys remember, they lost all the tiebreakers and they dropped all the way down to the sixth spot. Then you have a little bit earlier, 2013-14, bobcats i guess they were called at that point they won 43 games and then you have the 2018-19 when he was with the magic and they won 42 games so let's start with the 2015-16 hornets that was the most recent uh hornets team that it made the playoffs took the heat to seven games that was the year that courtney lee hit a big shot in game five in miami a game that they stole on the road but charlotte could have closed out the series at home in game six We all know how that ended, and Miami took it back to Game 7 on home and finished off the Hornets. Now, that roster consisted of Kemba Walker, Marvin Williams, Batum, and and this was a good Batum before his usage and interest level took a nosedive in those following three seasons or so. They had Jeremy Lind, who was awesome for the team, being used as a backup point guard, but also as a guy that could play beside Kemba Walker as an off-ball player or an on-ball player, and shifting Kimba off-ball. I remember having the conversations about Jeremy Lynn that offseason and how he headed off to the Nets and and the things that we were losing with Lynn. They hit Zeller, and I believe it was the last season of Al Jefferson. And then, like I mentioned, they acquired Courtney Lee around the deadline. I really like this team. They had a good balance of both offense and defense. They limited the turnovers and second chance points on the other end. They were a very sound team. Let's go to the 2013-14 Bobcats. This team was the only team that got swept in the 2014 playoffs. If you look at all the series in those playoffs, they were the only ones that got swept. They were a 7 seed. They had to face the Heat. They had a young Kimball Walker. They actually had, to me, a better Al Jefferson. Than the Jefferson that they had uh, in 2015-16, I want to say I want to say Jefferson got injured in that playoff series. I could be wrong in 2015-16, uh, but they had a better, younger Al Jefferson. They had Josh McRoberts, good old McBob, who could pass as a big. They had Gerald Henderson. They had um, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, but not a whole lot after that. And like. Most Clifford coach teams, they didn't foul, they didn't turn the ball over, they limited opponents, offensive rebounds, etc. But in terms of pure talent and production, this one I don't think is going to compare to the 2023-24 Hornets, so I'm going to rule them out. And obviously, they don't compare to the 2015-16 Hornets. And lastly, we've got the Orlando Magic team in 2018. They finished 7th in the East, lost in five games to the Raptors. They were limited, very limited offensively and had to win games because of their defense. Busevich was their best player. They also had DJ Augustine. They also had a known Hornets dominator, Terrence Ross. They had Aaron Gordon. But again, I I don't think this team matches up to the 2016 Hornets. So what we've got now, we're comparing the 2016 Hornets to the current roster Lamella Ball, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, Mark Williams, P.J. Washington, Brandon Miller, Cody Martin. You got that core versus Walker, Batum, Courtney Lee, Marvin Williams, Al Jefferson, Jeremy Lin, uh, Cody Zeller, I mentioned, even Frank Kaminsky was on that team. I think on paper, this year's version might have the talent to compete and beat the 2016 team. But as we all know, basketball isn't played on paper. No one is expecting, no one's expecting this team to be a top six team in the East. And if they do, uh, we'll have that conversation then. But if I'm answering the question in terms of pure talent and upside, this year's team rivals, if not surpasses, the 2016 team in terms of personnel. But taking out like the individual head-to-head talent, and you're looking at it as a collective, as a team, as a whole. I'm not really sure you can really discount that veteran presence on the 2016 team and how well coached they were. And that's something that the Hornets do miss is the collection of veteran players that have been there before. So I guess it's really how you want to look at this question. On paper, this team should be better talent wise, but as a collective, I'm not sure they're ever going to reach that. And we always talk about the word should or could and things that compare to will. Like those are two different things. Like will they be a team that is better than the 2016 team? Probably not. Could they? Sure. They just got to put it all together. But something tells me that this team is just missing a piece or two to get to that type of level. So I guess to answer the question On paper, this team is probably the best, but when it's all said and done, Clifford's 2015-16 Hornets as a team end up being better. Question number two. Does Hayward's 15% trade kicker basically prevent him from being traded because our front office is too cheap? Now, this is something that I've chatted about before or put out on Twitter before, but it's been a while. I'm sure I mentioned this on episode two, maybe like a year or two ago, year and a half ago. And it was more pertinent back then because with each passing season and each passing day, the bonus of 15% gets smaller. For those that aren't aware, Charlotte and Hayward negotiated a trade bonus or a trade kicker, whatever you want to call it, into his contract. And how that works If Hayward were to be traded 15% of his remaining contract, so that's why we're at the point to where it's only 15% of his $31.5 million contract will be owed to him by Charlotte, not by the team that's trading him. So to the question asker's point, this is going to be money that is spent from Charlotte to Hayward just to trade him. So my math comes out to 15%, comes out to $4,725,000 bonus. And what's interesting too is that that $4 million number that I just said could actually complicate trades. And what I mean by that, Hayward in Charlotte's case is viewed as a $31.5 million player. But the team that's going to acquire him, even though they're not paying him the bonus they would have to view him as a $36 million player that's incoming. So matching salaries and the wiggle room that is there is a little bit challenging. Now, one way around this could be Hayward just waiving the bonus and and Charlotte coming to him and say, hey, we've got a trade worked out, but it only works if you waive this bonus. That's always an option to help the matching process. So there's potential for this trade kicker to be a deterrent and actively looking for a way to trade Hayward. But by the same token, I also don't see a whole lot of benefit or as much benefit as maybe others do in trading Hayward, considering his contract, considering he's going to be a one-year rental and considering that trade kicker. I think for the Hornets' sake, he could be a more valuable piece on this roster if he's on the court obviously leading by example giving the team an outlet in the half court as a mid-range scorer giving the team an option as a screen setter to create mismatches and just everything that we've seen from this guy in the past on the court so i don't think it would be as wise to trade him and and the trade kicker plays into that decision but to answer the question i do think it plays a role in trading hayward But don't think just because they don't trade him, it's because of the kicker, if that makes any sense. I think it's a factor, but I don't think it's really the only reason. It could just be, like I said, the value of him on this roster this season is greater than anything they may get back in a trade. So let's not prolong uh, his contract any more than it needs to be. Let it fall off the books after the offseason and go from there. But that's going to wrap up our questions today. I am going to have another episode out this week, maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I'm getting Will Kunkel on as a guest to share his thoughts on the Hornets offseason. Again, guys, appreciate everything you guys are doing, sharing the episodes on Twitter. Tell a Hornets fan if they don't know about us. If you want to support us and take a look at buzzbeat.substack.com, for information about our private feed, you can get a full year for $35 for exclusive content, ad-free, early access, or like I mentioned at the top of the episode, for $35, you can probably go buy a sweatshirt on our Tee Public site and you, you get a year free. So you're getting two things for the price of one. Or if you want to try it out for six months, go buy a t-shirt. And that's obviously going to be less than a sweatshirt with it being the summer. Maybe you were looking at t-shirts over sweatshirts, but it gets you six months as well. So just take a look at all that stuff. I'll put all the links in the episode note below. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. I'm Richie. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We will talk to you guys later. Take care.